Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, your weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 520. This week, we're going all emails. I'm answering the emails you sent in to catch up with where we are in the email inbox. It's overflowing. I wanted to share them all with you. Here we go. So it's time to answer the email inbox. I know we've had a really busy November, haven't got to a lot of questions. So I wanted to make sure here in December, we double down on you with some of these questions. Starting with an email from Edvira. Ed writes, I was just watching your Celebrity Ascent video on Cruise Blog's YouTube channel. And suddenly you bumped into Danny from Hard Travel. And I was wondering, out of your 70 plus cruises you've taken, what one that you took did you run to the most fellow cruise bloggers like yourself? Ed, thanks for the email. By far, the answer was Wonder of the Seas inaugural. Wonder of the Seas was, when it debuted, it doubled as a maiden cruise and a media cruise. Anyway, there were like every blogger, vlogger known to man, including Billy Hirsch. Like that's how many different bloggers there were. Even Billy made it on board. Anyway, that was really cool. And I suspect when I go on Icon of the CZ, we're going to probably exceed that on that sailing. Next, we have an email from Dan. Hey, Matt, long time no right. Sorry I missed you and the group in Boston, but I had to fly to Bonaire for a dive trip when you guys were heading to Maine. Two questions. On your recap of the New England cruise, you commented on how smooth the embarkation was. It was shocking to me, as nothing in Massachusetts is usually smooth. Did you get the sense that it was good all the time, or do you think it was because it was towards the end of the season and they had months of practice over the summer? Uh, that's a great question. I'm not sure I can really answer that definitively. I can just tell you it was smooth for everybody. And I got there early. I had one of the early boarding times, and but everybody reported it being really, really smooth. I'm hoping, Dan, that essentially uh, in 2023 20, uh -huh. compared to 2022, they kind of got their act together, especially with less COVID protocols that they had in 22. So that's my guess, quite frankly. Uh, Dan's other question is, on your celebrity video, you talked about how your status transferred. Had you had the next level of celebrity, if I heard it right, your pinnacle, what does it get you in the highest level? So I don't get the highest level in celebrity. I get elite. And I believe there's like elite, Elite Plus, something like that, and then Cena. Uh, what it gets you is very little, actually. I was very disappointed with how little you got for being a, you know, elite member in Celebrities Captain's Club. By the way, to get your status, you have to call Celebrity and status match. No big deal. Like, five minutes on the phone. That being said, the issue is, I mean, essentially the major perks are you can get a discount on a drink package or a Wi-Fi purchase. Now, that's very similar to Royal Caribbean when you're a Diamond or Diamond Plus or Pinnacle. There's an onboard benefit you can't use it before the cruise. Um, but like once on board, you know, there's no free Diamond drinks like you get with Royal Caribbean. Uh, there was a happy hour they had for like, I think it was maybe two hours at the most in one venue. I always forgot about it. It's just, man, it's just not nearly as beneficial as you'd get with being, you know, a, a higher tier member in Royal Caribbean. So, Dan writes, keep up the good work. I've sent two friends onto Royal through MAI Travel. Shout out to Kelly Hardy. And I'm trying to talk to my wife in addition to her Disney plan for next Thanksgiving and getting back on a cruise. We love MAI Travel. Thank you for the shout out there, Dan. Appreciate you. Next, we have an email from Zach. Hey Matt, my name is Zach and I've been watching you for a few years now. And the first ship I ever seen on YouTube that I fell in love with was Symphony of the Seas because of its size and the shows on board that you showed. I still haven't got on it though, but I would love to. I recently went on Wonder of the Seas for my first cruise last June, Western Caribbean, seven night cruise, and I'm addicted. My wife wanted to punch me because I wanted to watch one or two of your videos every night. 
when we went for months and finally when we were bored she says wow we are so prepared thanks matt anyways we wanted to do another cruise summer cruise on another oasis class ship and the only one i found leaving out of florida with a decent western itinerary was allure but i felt like wonder being my first might have ruined all of mistress for me is that true i don't think it ruined it for you um you know obviously it's gonna be different and you might prefer certain elements of wonder but i think you're also gonna prefer certain elements of alert so no i wouldn't look at it that way look at it as a different way of going about it but not a way of ruining it and and this is a common concern you know if you start out cruising with the oasis class which by the way i do recommend for new cruisers you know are all the other smaller ships not as good and the answer is they're just different but you still have a great time on board i think you'll love it so don't overthink it yolo book it i think you'll have a great great time zach next question is from braxton hey matt i hope this email finds you well i wanted to tell you as a long time viewer of your channel and blog about my recent royal Caribbean experience my wife myself and our lovely nine-month-old daughter just got off a six-hour itinerary on mariner the season sailed from fort canaveral to labadee jamaica and finally coco key the sailing was wonderful all went as expected and we received the royal Caribbean quality we expected except for one minor mishap with the gratuities that stemmed from booking with a larger party over the phone, but it was no big deal. My main reason I'm writing you, however, is to offer a content suggestion, I suppose. My wife and I are experienced crews with a few under our belt, but this is our first trip with the baby, and boy, was it different. I looked high and low and couldn't really find much information. Our best practices with cruising with the baby, besides just using the nursery. I see nothing wrong with using the nursery, but my wife and I really just wanted to keep her with us because we're overprotective first parents. But I thought the internet and world abroad could use some more content on things like activities, how to organize a stay room, baby changing tables, best areas, and beaches for your baby, etc. Rax has a great idea, actually. And we've done episodes and did a podcast with it years and years and years ago, which is probably why you can't find it. And we've written articles about it, and maybe that's also why you can't find it. I mean, uh, admittedly, one of my faults with Royal Caribbean blog in general is it's not necessarily super easy to find older content if you don't know necessarily the keywords to look for. Anyway, when it comes to going with babies, um, number one, I do the nursery is still like a big thing. There are a couple ships that don't have a nursery. I think that's a mistake. Number two, and Braxton, I, I really next time you go on a cruise with, with your with your daughter, do me a favor, dude. Pick one night and drop your daughter off at the nursery. Uh, coordinate with your dinner plan. So whether you're going to the main dining room or especially a restaurant, doesn't matter. But drop your your, your daughter off. You go with your wife to dinner and go see a show and have a drink. It's going to, like, you love your daughter, but it's going to open your eyes to like, oh, wow, you and your wife can have a great time also. Uh, same reason why you're at home. I'm sure somebody along the way babysits for you, right? It's such a huge difference. Plus, for your daughter, she's going to love it too because she can play. There are other kids there. It's a win-win for both of you. So I get the soul, you know, protect parents, want to have your kids with you. Trust me, it's going like one night for the cruise. Call it your date night, whatever. Like, it's going to be a game changer. In terms of other things you mentioned, I think it's really important to talk about some of those things. So there are activities. If you go to the nursery, you might be able to find different activities available on board. Royal Caribbean doesn't have like a ton of activities specifically for toddlers, like the under three set. Essentially, many kids that are that age are just along for the ride more or less, right? I mean, certainly toddlers are, are, are walking and doing things. And if you're on like Wonder of the Seas, which has the playscape, my goodness, that would be like the best place ever for them. But if you're on a different ship that doesn't have those venues, I think number one, you want to find a cruise ship that has a baby splash pad. This is important because you cannot take any child that's in a diaper 
into any of the pools. The exception is the baby splash pad, which you find on any ship that has Splash Away Bay, because those have the baby splash pad there. That's really important. I would highly recommend you get one of those. In terms of baby changing tables, newer ships have many more of them, but you'll find a little sign for them in most public bathrooms. So it's not usually too much of a problem. Uh, always bring more baby supplies than you actually need. So like if you're like, all right, seven night cruise. So at seven nights at home, I would need this much stuff. Yeah, like double that. It's amazing how much more stuff you go through. And then for beaches and shore excursions, you know, that, that's a good question. And usually what I look for are bays or inlets that are protected. Um, every so often you'll find in most of these ports, you know, many beaches to choose from, right? And what you really want is a family-friendly beach. I remember when we went to St. Martin, uh, there was a beach called uh, Legalion, G-A-L-I-O-N. Uh, I believe a hurricane like wrecked that beach, but that was many years ago. I have no idea if it's open again. Anyway, the point of the story is we went to that beach and it was a game changer because it was a little inlet that was, it was the ocean, but it was protected. So there were like no waves at all. And when our kids were of that age where they couldn't swim, but they could stand and walk and stumble and what have you, it was perfect because they could play in the surf without, you know, being fear of being knocked over by the waves or really anything like that. It was like fantastic. So look for protected inlets, family friendly beaches, things of that nature. Uh, that's always a good option. The other one, of course, is always standby as a pool. So if you do like resort for a day, which I love, uh, cabanas, what you really want for babies on shore is a couple things. Number one, shade. They're gonna take a nap at some point and probably on you. So if you can get a cabana or you can get an umbrella, that's huge to have that. Number two, you also want maybe something to eat. Uh, a changing facility would be important as well. Again, this is why I like a re resort for a day.com, one of those places where you can get access to a resort and then you have also access to a pool because the ocean's great, but a pool is so much easier. And so if you have one of those, that's even better, more beneficial um, and kind of go from there. So yeah, definitely a lot of good tips there. And Braxton, please do me a favor, send me an email and uh, share your best tips for cruising with a family because I think that's a really, really good idea. Uh, next question is from Amber. Hi, Matt. I've been listening to your podcast and watching your YouTube videos for many years now. I've gotten so much great advice from you and now I'm reaching out for more advice. This is my first cruise with toddlers and we're doing a couple days at Disney before. Our cruise is in 21 days. I haven't booked transportation from Disney to Port Canaveral. Do you have any companies you might recommend for this? Uh, actually I do. Uh, uh, the company's called Black Diamond. Uh, if you Google Black Diamond Orlando transportation, I'm sure you'll find them. I've used them a number of times and uh, it's great. So um, I would highly recommend them as your transportation choice for you. Next question is from Liz. Hey Matt. I've heard about Adventure Ocean picking up kids from the main dining room. I think it was early seating. Has this restarted post-pandemic or have you heard anything about it coming back? We're feeling a wonder this season with a three, four, and five-year-old. We enjoy having meals with the kids, but I know they won't make it through even a faster main dining room meal. Unfortunately not, Liz. Um, it, as far as I know, they're not bringing it back. That's what I was told. Again, that could all change, but it was a great thing. It was the family Adventure Ocean. You'd sign them up and you'd go to the main dining room in early seating and the kids would get their food first. And then about halfway through the meal, about an hour in, uh, a crew member from Adventure Ocean would come down, one of the counselors, pick up the kids, and you could enjoy, you and your all the adults, would be able to enjoy the rest of your meal uh, without the kids. It was, it was fantastic. Anyway, I've not seen that come back since the pandemic, and I was told once it was never coming back. So as far as I know, Liz, it has not come back yet. 
next email is from Marlon Yoder. We're going on a cruise to the Bahamas with Sabakuku Key right after Thanksgiving. And while I know we have addressed the island many times, I may not have been paying attention. <laughs> if going with a group of nine, what do you think would be the best thing to do? Most people in the group don't want to spend any extra money while, while there and want to mostly stay together and aren't all that fussy about what they're doing. As far as going to the beach, is it easy to find shaded spots without paying for a cabana? Absolutely, yes. So there's every every beach, every pool, there are chairs and umbrellas all throughout. So you don't have to worry that if you don't pay for a cabana, you're not getting shade. Far from it. You'll be able to find plenty of it. So what I would tell you is obviously if, if the cabana is not available or you don't want to pay extra in general, that's totally fine. I would pick a certain beach to go to. South Beach is a great option. I also like Harbor Beach. It's the little cove, if you will, that when you're walking out of the island, if you go past Captain Jack's, it's that waterway you'll see there with like the fountain, the water fountain in there. It's a great spot, underrated. Most people don't go there. So it's a good spot for anybody, quite frankly. I also go back to the toddler thing I talked about earlier. That's a great spot for toddlers as well. And uh, yeah, just pick a beach and go there. But there's gonna be plenty of chairs and umbrellas. Nothing to worry about in regards to that. Uh, speaking of beaches, we have another beach question. It is from Steven from Las Vegas. Hey Matt, thanks for all the great info on both your blog and YouTube channel. We thought we experienced real Caribbean travelers, but we learned a lot from you. To that end, we're taking our very first cruise to the Caribbean in July, 2024. Yes, we're two cruises away from Diamond Plus status, but I've never been to the Caribbean, crazy I know. And this will be our first visit to Nassau. So a couple questions. Number one, what beaches have restrooms that are near the cruise ship? I heard someone mention that not all the beaches on Nassau have restrooms. That's correct. Junkanoe Beach is not the one to go to. For Nassau in general, what I would tell you is go to resortforaday.com and they have beach access, they have pool access. That's what I would do if, if I were you. And, and I think this is your second question. So we've never been to Nassau. We have no idea what we should do there. I know a lot of people have been there multiple times and find it most boring and stay on the ship rather than go to town. But there must be something for a newbie you should see, even if it's just one time, what would you recommend? Like I said, resortforaday.com. I, I feel like Nassau is a great beach day, but you don't want to just necessarily wing it. I think it's a mistake to, you know, walk around and because you need services, facilities, I would recommend resortforaday.com. Uh, find a beach over there, one of the resorts. And I think that's going to be your best bet, Stephen. So thank you for the email. Uh, next email is from Doug and Laura Holtzman from Eureka, Missouri. Thanks for what you do. Your YouTube channel has been insightful. My wife and I are starting to look at cruising. We've done four cruises in our 36 years of marriage, the last two on Real Caribbean. We loved it. Three booked in the next 14 months, including taking our family on a family cruise. All four of our kids, their spouses, and three grandkids allure the seas in July of 2024. Odyssey of the Seas, November 2025. We're doing, we did a guaranteed balcony. It was the same price as an inside room when we booked it, $900 cheaper than a balcony. We were signed an obstructed view balcony. Did a royal up for $80 times two and just saw a pending on a notion of view balcony. Woohoo. My question is, uh, I probably said woohoo with a little more emphasis. My question is, can we now try to go to Royal Up again or get something nicer? Just curious. Still waiting for our assignment on the Ocean View Balcony. I don't think you can Royal Up twice. I could be wrong. I've never, I mean, I've had one bid ever accepted and I end up canceling my cruise anyway. I, I'm not familiar if you can do two. I've never heard of it. Um, so I'm honestly not sure. I wish I'd give you a better answer than that. But that's the truth right there. And our last email is from Reagan. Hello, I don't know when I'll be hearing my own email over the podcast as I'm listening to it from the very first episode to the very last in chronological order. Currently listening to episode 96 as I'm writing this. I've started listening to this podcast a year or two ago, but then podcasts as a whole fell off for me. Roughly a month ago, now I'm Spotify rather than the in-browser media player that I previously used. I'm back on my Real Green Blog podcast binge sessions as it makes my retail job so much more tolerable. Love the great work that you do. 
I'll get back to you once I catch up to episode 500 something. Yes, I don't cruise as often as I, I could, probably a relatable statement to every other listener, but for me, my first ever cruise was in 2014, and I've only had four more since in college isn't gonna help. So I make fun humanized characters of Royal Caribbean ships. Think of a cruise ship, but turn into a human. Odd hobby, I know, but thanks to the podcast, I can flesh out each of these characters more. Perhaps I can show you a few of them at some point, and some people think you talk too fast, but for my ADHD brain, your speaking bass is just perfect for me. Sorry for the long email. Reagan, great email, and I appreciate anybody who feels that I don't talk fast. Uh, that's great. All right, since that wasn't really a question as a comment, last email is from Josh Albertson. And I live in Florida and drive to most cruises, but this question is for those of us out of town. Fort Lauderdale is undergoing a significant renovation of its port. Miami and Port Canaveral have established ports. If someone was flying in, how would you rank these three ports for ease of getting in from the airport, places to stay nearby, and good places to eat the night before? Basically, can you do a pros and cons of each port for those of us we know who want to go out of Florida, but can't, but can only fly to any of them? Ooh, interesting question. All right, so Miami, well, let's start with Port Canaveral, it's the easiest. Port Canaveral, is about an hour from the airport. So it's the furthest of any of the Florida ports from an airport. Uh, it's not that far, but it's far enough. It's like 45 minutes actually. Uh, and there's not a lot of great dining around the port. Uh, port Canaveral is really in Cocoa Beach. That's the name of the area. And there are some typical tourist trap places over there, you know, but nothing like gonna rock your socks. Great thing about Port Canaveral is the terminal is very easy and cruises tend to be a little less expensive in Port Canaveral than say Miami, but it's an easy process if you're going at Terminal 1. Terminal uh, 5 or 6 is, eh, it's for smaller ships and it is a little more hit or miss, but it's totally fine. It's 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 good enough, certainly, uh, but usually find better prices at Port Canaveral. Uh, Miami is about, the airport is about half an hour away and be a little bit less, it's like 15 minutes with no traffic, but it's Miami, so there'll be a little bit more traffic. So traffic is more of a consideration. Probably the worst traffic you're gonna find in any of the Florida ports is Miami, but the airport is sufficiently close enough and it's all highway that there's a good chance you can bypass a lot of it, but you know, traffic is traffic, you never know. The nice thing about Miami, just a couple of things going for Miami. Number one, it's a major city. So there's tons of dining, tons of hotels. You don't need to stay near the port. You can stay in one of the major neighborhoods. You can stay downtown, Brickle. There's a lot of cool neighborhoods, lots of great restaurants, lots to do pre and post cruise. Uh, it's a major city. So it's it has no shortage of things to do, which is great if you're looking to do a pre and post cruise. Happy, you go to South Beach, you know, there's so many cool things to do in Miami. And the best thing about Miami the Terminal A is by far the gold standard of any cruise terminal out there. It's super easy, super fast. The sailway is fantastic. It's really beautiful. You get to see the backdrop of Miami with all the tall buildings. It's really cool to go through the channel and there's all the expensive houses. Really, really nice. And then the other good thing about Miami is that you're all the way down south already. So you're very close to, or closer I should say, the places you're going, whether it's Bahamas or Cozumel, there's less of a distance to traverse. So that can be a nice advantage there. Fort Lauderdale is a more pragmatic port, but it's easy. Fort Lauderdale, Port Everglades is right next to the airport. They literally touch each other, the, the properties. You can't walk there, but it's so close that, I mean, it, it makes every other distance between port and airport seem like a long way. It's incredible. The terminal, Terminal 18, 
used to be the gold standard. It's no longer that. That'd be Terminal A. It's still very good. Good enough. It moves fast. It's a big space. So I really don't have any qualms with it. And Fort Lauderdale is still a big city. Not as big as Miami, but there is plenty to do. Lots more hotels. That's actually a, a deficiency of Port Canaveral is that the hotel situation kind of stinks over there. There's a few. They're all good enough, but if you're into luxury, if you're into a nicer hotel than like a three-star, you're not finding it in Port Canaveral. Now you can say in Orlando and find that over there, but then you're a little further away. Anyway, I digress. Fort Lauderdale has plenty of dining, plenty of hotels. It has culture, it has things to do. So you're not gonna lose out on, on activities and fun stuff to do in Fort Lauderdale. So um, typically also Fort Lauderdale cruises tend to be a little bit cheaper than Miami. Miami is probably the most expensive cruises, but that's a, that's a generalization. I'm sure you can find exceptions to all of this. And the nice thing also about Miami is you're probably gonna find the newest cruise ships out there. Although that's changing a little bit. Starting the season now going out of Port Canaveral. But it's not quite the same as it used to be. Anyway, point is, is that there's pros and cons to all these. And Tampa, look at Tampa as a really local port. You get smaller ships in there. They do short sailings, maybe even longer sailings. But um, because of the bridge that blocks access, it is usually going to be a smaller ship. It's also more of a seasonal port, whereas Port Canaveral, Port Lauderdale, and Miami have ships year-round. So I wanted to mention that before someone says, hey, Matt, you forgot about Tampa. It's there, but for most people that fly in for a cruise, generally speaking, they probably go to the, one of the eastern Florida ports that we're talking about here. Um, there's pros and cons to them. I'm not sure. That really and truly, the South Florida ports have more to do around them but you may find the airfare more expensive to get to South Florida than, than Orlando. Um, but then again, you have the transportation issues and kind of depends on what's more, most important to you. So that's a really good question, Josh. Thank you for the email. Thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog podcast. If I can answer your email, send them to matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Until next time, I'm Matt. We'll talk again real soon.